Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we, we pray, Lord, would you, would you teach us today? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, to understand why this is in the Scripture? Why these two stories about this Sabbath conflict? Help us understand what it means that you're Lord of the Sabbath. I pray that you would be Lord of our lives, that you would be king, that you would rule and reign, that we would know you, and that we would know your Sabbath rest that you offer, Lord. The world offers rest, but only you can bring true rest. Bless our time today, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So as I've been... Studying the book of Mark week, week by week, the thing that has struck me the most is how much the book of Mark is about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Week by week, every story is about how Jesus Christ is Lord and King of all the universe. Uh, it starts out with Mark 1.1 when Mark announces the good news of the gospel. He, the good news is that we have a king. John the Baptist announces that the, the king is here, right? The Messiah, the one, one that's greater than I, is here. He announces Jesus as king. He's the forerunner of the king. And then when Jesus begins to preach and teach, we see him saying, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand, right? My, my kingdom is breaking in, new to the old, right? The, uh, I'm the promised king who's, who's come to redeem and restore all of creation. And then Jesus goes to, to demonstrate his authority, and people are amazed at his authority. Right? They're amazed at his teaching authority. He teaches as one who, who teaches from the original stuff. Right? He doesn't teach like any of the other prophets or teachers of the law. He has authority. They're amazed at, at his ability to, over the spiritual world, right? To, to cast out demons, to, to shut up the mouth of demons. He shows his authority over the, the physical world as he's, as he's healing people, right? He's demonstrating it over and over. He doesn't just say it, he demonstrates it. And then he forgives sins. Who can forgive sins but God, 
right? He forgives sins. And then he displays his power uh, as, he, as he heals sins, and then he shows them, look, I can even heal the outside and the inside. And, and right now, what we're going to see today is today's like is the end of this little small chunk of, of conflict. He's having conflict repeatedly with the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of this day. Right? The first conflict began, was when he forgave sin. They accuse him of blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. And then the next scene after that, we see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. Right? And they're, they're flipping out. What is he doing with? Doesn't he know who these people are? Right? And then Jesus says, hey, you're, acting, you're asking me to act like a doctor who doesn't hang with sick people. He says, I've come for the sick, not for the self-righteous, those who don't think they need a doctor. The next conflict after that is now Jesus is not, fa- is not fasting like the rest of the religious leaders. Him and his disciples are, are feasting, and they accuse him of being a drunkard and a glutton. Right? They're, not, they're not fasting because the king's here. They're celebrating. And today we see the, the, the final in this little section of how they're going to falsely accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath was one of the was number four of the Ten Commandments. It's in Exodus 20, verse 8. Let me read it to you so you can understand the Sabbath. It says here, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Right? That's God's command. That's God's command. And, and really it's uh, God established a pattern of work and rest for all of mankind from the beginning, from the creation. And so God has created us to work six days and then rest on the seventh. Some people think that that work is a result of the fall. That's why I used to think, is, oh, work's just man. It's work is just because the world is broken and it's not supposed to be this way. We're not supposed to work. But actually God has created us to work, right, even before the fall. The fall just makes work hard. And we work, God's created us to work because God is a worker. God's a worker. And when we work, we display his image. We display his, his glory in the way we work. Right? When we work hard, when we, when we work for his, his glory, we work for the Lord, right? Not just for that paycheck. And so it, work is really important. And, and one thing some people can do to break the Sabbath is they can procrastinate all week, you know, take a lot of naps, sleep in too much, not work very hard. And then what happens for a lot of people is they can't observe the Sabbath because they're playing catch-up on Sunday for Monday, right? So some people, the, this command is you need to get to work, right? Work really hard on those six days and then rest on the seventh and trust the Lord, right? And some people break the Sabbath because they try to work all seven days, Right? And so this is telling us, hey, chill out. Take a break. Right? This is God's gift for you. Take a break or you will break. Right? So this is a good commandment. It's a blessing. And it, and it gives us order for our lives. And so for us Christians, it's difficult to understand the importance of the Sabbath for Jews, especially in Jesus' time. And even today, right? Sabbath to them was one of God's great gifts. Right? They, they held it high, like uh, circumcision and, and 
and the law and the, the temple, these things were important to them. They, they, they formed their identity as, as God's chosen people, right, the Sabbath. So they, they, they took it seriously. And in general, they wouldn't break the Sabbath. They wouldn't work except for life-threatening emergencies. And some people were so extreme, they would, even in a life-threatening emergency, they didn't want to help because they didn't want to break the Sabbath. And that's exactly why you see they're so upset that Jesus heals the man with the withered hand. Right? The Sabbath is important. And today, many Jews still observe the Sabbath in a strict and devout way. I heard this story of, of a man who went to Israel with his family. And it was during the Sabbath day. And he was coming up into a, to this hotel room. And there's there two elevators. And there's this long line. And he's coming. He's wondering, like, what's going on with this line? Right? They get in line and He's kind of peeking forward looking, and he sees two elevators, and no one's using the other one. And so he's like, I'm going to go see what's going on. Is, is this other elevator broken or something? And so he, he interested, he's interested, so he goes up to the front line, and, and he sees all the, the Jews packing into this elevator, right, like sardines. And he's, so he asks the guy, hey, what's up with this elevator? Is this broken? And the guy tells him, no, that's not the Sabbath ele- elevator. This is the Sabbath elevator. The Sabbath elevator is pre-programmed to stop at every floor so that they don't have to work by pressing a button, all right? They believe that if you press a button, it's work because you're operating machinery, right? Electric machinery. And so the other, the other elevator's fine. He calls his family, hey, come on, guys. We're going on the Jesus elevator, <laughs> right? And they all load up into the Jesus elevator, and suddenly all the Jews just, you know, pile in that elevator with them. And he's like, what's going on? And suddenly they're asking him, hey, press two, press three, press four. He's like, oh, great. I'm condemned already. I'm just a Gentile. So you want me to break the Sabbath for you and, and, and burn to hell, right? So, so religious rules can just make people do silly, silly stuff and, and ruin something that's meant to be a, a great blessing, right? Pressing a button is not work. There is no physical exertion taken in that. And that's not the heart of what God's command was. And so, so let's look at these stories here. We see two false accusations. The setting of the first one is Jesus and his disciples are, are walking through this grain field. They're plucking heads of grain and eating them as they go along. Now, the Pharisees are always watching Jesus, right? They're looking for a reason to accuse him. They're, they're like stalking him, it seems like here. And, and so they accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath law for eating, you know, plucking heads of grain and eating them, which is a silly accusation. This is equivalent of us today on the Sabbath going for a walk, you know, with, with a friend or your family member, and you see an orange tree. Grab an orange, peel it, and eat it, right? That's not work. You're, you're probably resting by going for a walk and enjoying the weather and eating a good fruit, right? But Jesus is so holy that they have to grasp anything that they can, you know, anything that they can get. They're, they're grasping. They're grasping to accuse him. And Jesus makes three arguments, and all of them really form one argument. And the argument is basically Jesus saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord. I am king. I'm what the Sabbath is all about. 
is what Jesus is saying. So the first thing he brings up is this, this story of David. This story is found in the Old Testament, and it's David and his men are starving, and they go into the tabernacle, which was the house of God, and they take the bread of the presence, and they eat it, right? They eat this bread that it wasn't lawful for them to eat. They break laws, right? They break the ceremonial laws. And, and uh, you know, that bread was only for the high priest. And so and Jesus isn't saying that it's okay to break God's laws. That is not what he's saying. What he's saying is, David, this is King David. You guys love this guy. You guys revere this guy. And he actually did break the law, right? He actually did break these ceremonial laws. And I've done nothing, and you guys are accusing me. I'm greater than David, right? He was the king of Israel. I'm the true king. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath is what Jesus is saying. So get off my back. <laughs> That's how it's it. <laughs> and then he says the second argument, Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Right? Man was created on the sixth day. On the seventh day, God created the Sabbath. Right? So Sabbath was meant for man to be a blessing for man, for mankind to rest. Right? Not, Sabbath's not meant for, for man to serve the Sabbath, right? It's the opposite way around. The Sabbath serves mankind. It's meant to be a blessing and, and promote human flourishing, peace, and shalom under God's lordship. And, and they're, they're flipping it around, making it about serving the Sabbath, right? How, how cool is it that God gives us a day off? He, in his creation order, mandates a day off, a day where we can worship him, can pray, we can, we can fellowship with other believers, right? That's a, that's a great blessing to gather with family and friends and, and to recharge for the week, right? He gives us a day to take a nap or, or go for a hike or, or have a barbecue at your house, right? It's a blessing. God gave it for man to rest, and, and it's a gift to be enjoyed. If you put so many rules around it, you ruin it, right? Anything any gift, if you put so many rules around it, you can ruin it. Uh, it reminds me of one time Ruthie and I uh, brought a piñata to my daughter's kindergarten class. Right? Now, piñatas, the best thing about them is there's minimal rules. It's just stay back, wait your turn to whack at this thing, and don't get hit in the head, and then when it's time, you dive for candy, right? It's awesome. The, the, the thrill of it is, that bat swinging and everyone's, you know, diving for candy, right? There's not much rules on it. Well, that day we, we, when we did it, she, uh, she made sure everyone had to stand at the wall. You only get, you know, three, a few swings at it. And so slow and monotonous, everyone's doing swings. And when it finally broke, ah, 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 oh, you, le you left the line. You weren't supposed to leave the line. Now you're at the end of the line, right? Just punishing kids, putting them at the end of the line for running. I mean, they're used to diving at the piñata, right? And then, and then she let them go three at a time and get three pieces of candy and then go to class. <laughs> now, she's a sweet woman, and I understand she is trying to not have a, a concussion happen. She's a teacher, right? But there was so many rules around the piñata. It wasn't that exciting. It wasn't that fun. And at the end, there was a bunch of candy left there, and all the kids had to go in class because they could only get three candies, right? You put so many rules around something, you ruin it, and that's what these guys were doing. 
And the final thing Jesus did, what Jesus said was that he's the Lord over the Sabbath. He's saying, I rule over the Sabbath. I am king. So when God finished creating those six days, it says he rested. And he didn't rest because he was tired, right? He stopped creating and he started ruling on the seventh day. The Sabbath is about the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, right, which began on the seventh day. And so Sabbath in the Bible means peace and rest and blessing for all of creation under God's rule, right? That's the way it's meant to be, right, to be shalom and perfect and, and, and peace and harmony. And, and uh, the funny thing is, Jesus, it is impossible for Jesus to break the Sabbath. It's impossible because Jesus is the Sabbath. Right? The rest is ultimately found in him, so he can't break the Sabbath. The Sabbath is me. <laughs> you know what he's saying here. So, and so they're grasping for anything. And the funny thing is, ironically here, the rules and regulations that these guys put on the Sabbath for physical rest causes them to miss the true Sabbath. It, it causes them to miss it, right? They're so focused on keeping these rules and regulations Jesus is saying, hey, I'm right here. The Sabbath is about me and rest in me and my lordship, right? They miss it. And so here's the second story, false accusation two. Now here's Jesus. He's in a Jewish synagogue, which is uh, their house of worship. When the temple was destroyed, they created synagogues as a place where they could gather and meet and pray and, and hear teachers. And they're, again, they're watching Jesus like a hawk. They're always looking for a reason to accuse him. There's a guy with a withered hand there. I don't know if they, they placed him there on purpose to see what Jesus was going to do or not. But Jesus comes in, and I'm sure he knows everyone's watching him, and, and they're going to see, if, is he, is he going to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Is he going to break the Sabbath, they're thinking? And so Jesus calls this man to himself. He calls him, and, and he asks him a question. It's a two-part question. The first part, he asks, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Right? That's an obvious question. Right? What should you be doing on the Sabbath? What would God want you to do on the Sabbath? Do good or do harm? Right? So he's challenging them and, and, their, and their, their rules that they put on top of the Sabbath. Obviously, it's, it's good to do harm. And, and so the first part of that question, he's talking about the man. The second part He's talking about himself, right? Listen, look what he says. Is it right to save life or to kill, right? Because the Pharisees are accusing Jesus falsely of breaking the Sabbath, and they themselves are breaking the Sabbath. They themselves are having murderous plots to kill Jesus. So they're accusing Jesus of breaking the fourth commandment, and they're breaking the sixth and the ninth commandment, right? The sixth commandment is thou shalt not murder. The ninth commandment is thou shalt not bear false witness. And they're blind to their own sin, right? And, and, and they're accusing some, Jesus of, of something small. And they themselves, you know, you know they're, they're looking, at a, looking for a little toothpick, and they themselves have a log in their eye. And it says that after this, they, you know, they go and they're, they're going to start plotting his murder. 
And so religious people will tend to, to look at other sin with a microscope, right? They're going to examine. They're going to look and, and really thoroughly examine and look at their own sin with a telescope, right? So he says here that Jesus is angry as he looks at them, and he's grieved in, the, in his heart. Jesus is angry because he hates sin. He hates this brokenness. He hates to see their rebellion and, and their hard-heartedness. And he's grieved at the same time over it, over their stubbornness. And then Jesus goes to prove that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. As he calls this man to stretch out his hand, this man's hand is, is restored. He proves, he always proves what he says. He always validates it. And ultimately, the final proof, the greatest of all the proofs was his resurrection, right? So he proves that he is who he claims to be. And even after this miracle, they're looking to, to destroy and kill Jesus. And so this man's hand is a picture of our lives, right? Our lives, our relationships, uh, everything, our, our hearts are, not, are, are like the shriveled hand until they're under the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? They're not as they should be. Our lives are not as they should be until we find that Sabbath rest, in Jesus' lordship, right? And then what does Jesus do? You see, his, his rule over this man's hand restores it. And that's what Jesus does. He gives us new life, a, a restored life, a, a new heart, new desires. He makes us a new creation so that we can be all that we're created to be, so that we can glorify God and, and bear his image to the world. Because when we... Because when we, we rebelled against God's rule, we lost Sabbath rest, right? When, when mankind, every mankind from since Adam has rebelled against God's rule, God's rule. We've sought to do life our own way. We want to be king. And because of that, we've, we've lost Sabbath rest. And we're restless and, and miserable in our sin until we find the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, it doesn't matter how many naps you take. It doesn't matter how many vacations you go on. It doesn't matter uh, how many days off you take from work. You cannot find true rest for your soul until you find it in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Until he rules and reigns over your whole life. Until you live all of life, all for Jesus. You cannot find the true rest that you need. You'll keep running. You'll keep trying to control your life. You'll be, you'll be restless and miserable until you find him. And that's why it says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? It's the same thing. It's what Jesus is saying is repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's promising rest in his kingdom rule. So let me ask you this. Have you experienced Sabbath rest? Is your soul at rest with Christ Jesus? Right? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Jesus is great, so you don't have to be in control. A lot of times, we don't have rest because we try to control our own lives. Right? We don't re relinquish con control to Jesus 
who is great. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is king. He's powerful, right? He's omnipotent. That means he, he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. That means he's, he's everywhere. He's omniscient. That means he's, he knows everything. He's eternal, right? He's been here before, and he'll be here after. He'll n- never end. He knows it all beginning to end, and he's in sovereign control of all things as king. And a lot of times we're not at rest because we're trying to control our life, right? Maybe God's calling you to surrender control in an area of your life. Maybe you're trying to control your spouse, right? Maybe you're trying to control your children. Maybe you're trying to control your life and you're running off into some sinful behavior and God's calling you out of that, right? And you feel guilty, you feel ashamed, you know, you're not at rest, Jesus is great. You don't have to be in control. You can relinquish control of your lives to Jesus and find rest. He's way better at managing your life than you will ever be, right? Because he knows it all, and you can trust him, and you can rest in him. Jesus is glorious, so you don't have to fear your circumstances, right? Jesus is glorious, so you don't have to fear, fear your circumstances. You don't have to fear others. A lot of us aren't at rest because we're fearful. We're anxious. We're stressed. What is going to happen? What, what if this happens? What if that happens, right? And you lose sleep at night, and you can't stop thinking about it. You're so worried. You're consumed with it, right? And, and, and Jesus is glorious, so you don't have to fear, right? Jesus is the heavyweight champion of the universe. That's why when I think of God's glory, I think about him as the heavyweight champion of the universe, the most powerful being in all the universe, the most powerful being that has ever existed. And so you don't have to fear anything if Jesus is king of your life because he promises to to take care of you and to rule over your life, and and provide for you, and be there for you. Even when man rejects you, even in times of suffering, in persecution, in plenty, and in want, God promises to be there, and give you joy in all circumstances, and to rule over your life. And, And so you can not fear because you know God's in control over your life, right? And even in the hard times, God's promising that I'm working it all out for your good and for my glory. That's the promise, right? The promise is never an easy, perfect life. The promise is never health, wealth, and prosperity. But the promise is I will rule and reign over your life, and even when evil happens, I'll work it for good. And so you don't have to fear because you're, you're, you're in the hands of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is good, so you don't have to look elsewhere. Jesus is good, so you don't have to look elsewhere. A lot of us, we can't rest because we're looking elsewhere, right? We're looking for happiness. We're looking for fulfillment in, in dead places where you can't, find, you can't find that deep soul contentment. You can't find that satisfaction that only God gives. But Jesus is good. True peace, true contentment is found in him, in him alone. 
And so some people are, 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 are not at rest because they're chasing. They're chasing after something that will never satisfy, right? False gods, false idols never fail to fail. They will always fail you, right? Other things might, uh, sin even brings happiness for a moment, for a season, but it ultimately it leads to, to death. It destroys, right? And no peace. The Bible calls it, in Ecclesiastes, chasing after the wind. It's like chasing the wind and trying to, trying to catch the wind, which is really silly, right? So when we're, we're looking elsewhere outside of Jesus Christ for satisfaction, for hope, for life, for peace, we're, we're like a silly guy, crazy guy running in the field chasing, trying to catch the wind. That's the way God sees us. But Jesus is good, and he can fill your heart with all the love and everything you desire. Everything you ultimately desire is wrongly placed in other things, and, and only Jesus can fulfill that. And that's, I always say, this is a hard one to believe because the world has told us for all of our lives that you need to buy this, right, and you'll, you'll be happy. And, and it never works. How much stuff have we bought? And it ends up in the junk pile, right? So Jesus is good, so you don't have to look elsewhere. Finally, fourth one. These are the four G's, by the way. Jesus is great, so you don't have to be in control. Jesus is gracious, so you don't have to fear your circumstances. Jesus is good, so you don't have to look elsewhere. And the last one is, Jesus is gracious, so you don't have to prove yourself. Right? Jesus is gracious, and we don't have to prove ourselves. Many of us are, are growing weary because we're constantly trying to prove ourselves to God. We're kind of like... These Pharisees, right? These Pharisees are, are working so hard to keep the Sabbath, keep the rules so God will accept me, right? When, Je- when, when They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but when the Messiah comes and he sees how good I am at keeping the Sabbath, he's got to let me into his kingdom. I'm going to have a high place in his kingdom, right? So many of us are, are, are trying to do better and, and try harder and clean up our lives. All right, I'm going right, to really do it this time, God. I'm going to stop looking at porn this time, God. Come on, I'm going to do good these next two weeks. Right? How many guys have, have said that one? Right? All right, God, I promise you I'm not, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to be really good. I'm going to read my Bible every day for 15 minutes and pray, and I'll be at Redemption Community. I'll be at church. And, and we're, we're not at rest because we're trying. We're trying instead of trusting Jesus Christ. Right? We're not trusting in his graciousness. We're trying to earn or work for his grace. Now, the good news is Jesus is gracious. And Jesus says, hey, chill out. Stop trying and start trusting in me. Trust me, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I've already done everything on your behalf. I died on the cross for you. I proved myself so you don't have to prove yourself. And he's saying, hey, my grace is free right? Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. Trust me. I'm the king. I love you, right? I won't leave you or forsake you. And then once once you're one of my children, nothing can separate you from me, right? There's no condemnation. There's no separation in Christ Jesus. I'll bring you into the family of God, 
right? Jesus, last week we saw, he calls his disciples brothers after, after he rises from the grave, right? You can be in my family. My God will be your God. My Father will be your Father. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is gracious. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to clean yourself. Jesus will clean you. He's saying, come as you are. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would take a, have a radical takeover of our life, Lord, that you would come and, and rule and reign as king. Lord, we want to be king, and we're miserable, and we're not at rest. Help us know your Sabbath rest, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you're great and glorious and, and good and gracious. What a great king. What a privilege it is to, to worship you and know you, Lord. Bless it, Lord. Re reveal yourself to us, Lord. T take over control of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.